Welcome to Matriarchal Medicine, a sanctuary designed to inspire women on their journey to matriarchy by reconnecting them with their intuition and innate wisdom. Join us as we explore the stories, wisdom, and medicine of women who are claiming this sacred and holy role. Welcome to Matriarchal Medicine. I'm your host, Audrey Thorpe, and in today's episode, I'm going to be sharing my deconstruction journey. Uh, This is a topic that uh, the first notion that I would be sharing this, I actually got incredibly nauseous. Um, My whole lower lip broke out in canker sores because of how stressed I was to be publicly discussing this. Uh, And the reason why I say that is so much of my initial following uh, really came from Christian mothers and uh, mothers who, or I should say family members who are obviously still very involved in the church. And yeah, it's been a lot, um, it's been, yeah, weighing a lot on me to, to share this publicly. And I'm sharing because it's incredibly relevant to why this podcast came to light and why these modalities that I work with now are so important to me because uh, it's something that was very taboo uh, growing up. So I'm going to take you back to the beginning because why not? Uh, I grew up in the Bible Belt of the United States. I grew up in Oklahoma. You could not drive of more than a mile without finding at least two churches. And on top of that, both of my grandparents are pastors, were pastors, heavily involved in churches. They started churches. Um, my paternal grandparents actually have a company um, that's around uh, Christian Bible stories for children. Uh, it's been a huge, huge part of my life. Um, I have, you know, videos of me traveling to Branson, Missouri going up on stage helping my, my grandpa sell these, these videos and talking about Bible stories for kids. And with that, uh, I was tallying the other day, I'm like, my family was in church literally every other day of the week. Uh, if it wasn't for church, it was for church practice. If it wasn't for church practice, it was for some other type of reason. And it was our whole life. I distinctly remember uh, one particular Father's Day. Uh, my dad was on staff at the church um, as the, the soundman, and it was Father's Day. They had like three or four services back to back, and he chose to stay at church and continue volunteering or, you know, doing his job at church um, instead of coming home and being with our family to celebrate him on Father's Day. And again, even at a young age, you know, I was 10 years old working in the nursery. I was 10 years old, you know, dressing up as, you know, a mascot for the church, uh, for, for the very kids church that I should have been in myself. I was, you know, outside promoting it, trying to get kids into the church. And this showed up in obviously other parts of my life, uh, I think if you if you grew up in the 90s, um, 
and had a similar upbringing, we weren't allowed to listen to secular music. So, uh, you know, while my friends were listening to the Spice Girls and the Backstreet Boys, I was listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman and my husband and I both, you know, reminisce about the, the pop group Rays all the time. That was our, um, yeah, our, our music that we got to listen to. And I consciously remember meeting my husband in church at seven years old. Um, our parents, you know, love to remind us all the time that we actually have known each other since we were babies. And like my mother-in-law has changed my diapers. My, my mother has changed my husband's diapers. Um, but my, my point is the church has always been a huge point of my life, a huge part of my relationship with my husband. And when we got married, when we moved to Florida, um, I'm sharing this to show how the church has always been a very large point, a very large focal point in not just my life, but my husband's life as well. His parents were also on staff and both of us, I feel experienced not just secondhand trauma and secondhand abuse from the church, um, because of what we saw, not only our parents experience, but we, we lived through that as well with them. The stress that both of our parents went through to maintain these position positions with the church, the financial stress, the the, um, the time stress of, you know, and I'll get into this later in this episode, but the time stress that goes into maintaining these positions with the church, um, yeah, we, we definitely experienced the, the trauma that went with that. So all of that led us to being newlywed, sitting in front of my mother-in-law, and we were discussing how we hadn't found a home church for him and I as a new family. And this conversation stands out very vividly that I had with my mother-in-law and she was very forthright when she said you do not owe the church anything else than you have already given she was very somber when she shared this because it had been 20 years of her life that she had dedicated to being the perfect pastor's wife being the perfect associate pastor's wife being the perfect youth pastor's wife um attending all the Bible studies, doing all the, the quote-unquote godly things that she was called to do. And here she was sitting in a brand new apartment, divorced, you know, six months previously, and or I guess a year previously. But my, my point is, it didn't fix anything. And she knew, looking back, how much all of the church really attributed to where she was in life. And my husband and I ended up not really finding a church that we, again, back to schedule wise, he was working a insane schedule. Um, I, I was working two jobs. Like it just, number one, it wasn't a priority for us, but number two, schedule wise, it was really difficult to, to find a church that we, we wanted to go to. Uh, so fast forward, uh, to us moving to Florida. Uh, we had been married for about a year and a half and we moved to Florida and 
we found a church that we were happy with. We popped in a couple times. And this is also during the time that I was diagnosed with quote unquote uh, unexplained infertility, which I'll save that story for another time. So those three years really laid a healthy foundation for where I am in my career today. When I did finally get pregnant with my daughter, um, I was really interested in hypnobirthing. I was really interested in uh, self-hypnosis and all of these other things that, um, yeah, could help me have a, you know, my, at the time, a pain-free birth uh, because I had always known I was going to have a out-of-hospital birth. Um, and when I shared this with my father, uh, his response was, you know, does this mean that you're a Wiccan now? And I was like, what, like, what is, where is that even coming from? And he and I got into a, not a heated debate, but I mean, it probably was it over the fact that the Bible specifically says that it's the curse of Eve, that she will endure pain during childbirth. And I, I refused to accept that as my reality. I refused to accept the fact that a God who I worshiped would punish me with pain during childbirth. And I went on to have a amazing birth with my daughter. I did utilize hypnobirthing techniques. And after, um, my pregnancy loss, after, after my daughter, uh, I decided that I was going to go into birth work because of how I was treated uh, while I was, um, yeah, experiencing that pregnancy loss. And again, another topic for another day. <laughs> but uh, I, I did. I leaned really hard on my faith during that time, um, praise and worship music and prayer. Uh, and then, of course, a healthy dose of disassociating with the office is really what got me through those first couple weeks. In 2018, I attended my first hypnobirthing education workshop. This workshop was structured so I could essentially become a practitioner to teach families these techniques to utilize during their birth. And I will never forget sitting in this workshop is the first time, so I'm probably like 26 at this point. It was the first time that I had heard, or I guess 27, not that it matters, but uh, it was the first time that I had heard the fact that the Bible has had, I, I knew that books of the Bible had been removed, but it was the first time that I had ever heard that scriptures were added and removed to the Bible as well. I don't know why I didn't think that that was possible if they went as far as removing books of the Bible. And one of those scriptures in particular addresses the curse of Eve. That was a scripture that was added to the Bible. And that really did not sit well with me. Um, and I kind of just sat with that and kind of molded over, but I didn't really start pulling at threads until 2020. So during that workshop, there was uh, a couple other women who had mentioned a few books that I could, you know, read up on as far as obstetrical care, um, the history of midwives, the history of nurses, and the history of witches. And, at, you know, I had all the resistance in my body over the, the, the name, the label, witch. like, Oh, no, that's witchcraft. Not touching it, not looking at it, not this, not that. And my husband and I ended up going on vacation a couple months after that. And I put one of those books that was recommended to me. I'll, I'll have it linked in the show notes. 
but I, yeah, I bought the book and I took it and read it on the beach and my eyes were just blown open at the history that I was never taught, the history that I didn't know about. And yeah, just the history of organized religion, specifically Christianity. And it wasn't until 2020 when I was pregnant with my son that I really started to dive into this. I started listening to other practitioners who had been in birth work for a while and who were a lot more knowledgeable than me when it came to the history of, of birth work, the history of birth keepers, of autonomous midwives, of lay healers, and again, just the deep, deep wounding that not just the feminine has gone through, but the masculine has gone through as well because of organized religion. And finally, after the birth of my son, uh, I finally started to realize, because again, he, he was born in, you know, summer of 2020. And that was, you know, when everything was going on in the world with COVID. And it was blatantly clear to me that there was no separation between government and church. And there absolutely should be. And with that how the church is literally just, especially in the United States, how the church is a direct extension of the government. And as we've seen played out with this, the government is not for the people like it's, you know, supposed to be specifically in the United States. Uh, so that was when I, I started to dig a little bit more and read a little more and pull up more threads so I eventually found myself standing in front of my husband almost a year postpartum, telling him that, like audibly telling him, I no longer align with Christianity. And it was a lot. He and I were already going through so much as a couple and so much uh, grief over the past, you know, 10 years of our marriage it was all coming to the surface and this just kind of played into that conversation as well. And it, it was a lot. It was, there was so much that I had to navigate up to that point of over the, that, you know, year course, I went from, I can't even think this, even thinking this, I'm going to hell, even thinking this, I'm, I'm sinning. And I would go back and I would repent out of fear. And I would you know, something else would pop up and I'd be like, but that doesn't make sense. And then again, I'd have to go back and repent because out of fear, I, I became a Christian. I said the sinner's prayer at six years old because I was scared shitless of going to hell. I said the sinner's prayer at six years old because I had seen this elaborate Easter program put on by one of the churches in our area that essentially looked like passion of the Christ just played out in front of you on stage. What six-year-old would not say that? What six-year-old would not commit their life to Christ to avoid hell at that point? I remember so many kids in my Sunday school coming up for the altar call, altar call every week because they were afraid that they were going to hell because something happened throughout the week that, oh, maybe they don't get to go to heaven now. And it was just fear. 
fear and more fear and more fear and more guilt and more shame and more fear. And that's when I started objectively looking at this and looking at the Bible, which again has had scriptures removed, scriptures added, books removed as a tool of mass manipulation with all of the different translations, all of it's open to interpretation. All of it is. That, that's literally all of this holy text and all of this holy scripture is based on a couple people interpreting it and then taking that interpretation and bending it and molding it. I mean, I remember hearing that the Amplified Version was, you know, a it just blasphemy because it's not the King James. Don't even get me started on the fact that there's, I don't care if it's satire or not, but the Gen Z version of the Bible, like this, I, I feel like I'm, and these old people now of like, how dare you do that? But really this, at, at what point does this not, do people not see this as a joke? At what point do people not see that all of it is open to interpretation and all of it is open to what the initial translation was and who these people were and what their agenda was when they were translating this text. Organized religion, how I see it, is like I said, a tool of master manipulation and control. The nuclear family is alive and well, especially in industrialized countries. And it's designed to keep families separate. It's designed to keep kids in a box. It's designed to keep parents in their offices and in their boxes. And, oh, hold on, they have two days off a week. So how can we fill one of those week? Or how can we fill one of those days? Ah, let's get them in church. Our economy is in the gutter right now. But because I'm a Christian... 10% of my paycheck is going to go to the church. But yet, I'm up to my neck in credit card debt. But yet, I can't afford a car. But yet, I'm behind in my rent. But by God, the church is going to get 10% of my paycheck because I need to tithe. So, we're time poor and we're money poor. And the church is getting that. And then we're going to get guilted into volunteering and guilted into attending and supporting everyone else while we aren't being tended to, while we can't come up for air. My entire life, I remember we were hurting for money. We needed money. We were always low on funds. And yet my family gave so much of their time and so much of their energy and so much of our finances to the church this very church that was riddled with scandals, that was riddled with infidelity, that was riddled with funds being used inappropriately. This is all in the name of building a new church building, and that church building didn't come until 10 years after my family left the church. This is the same church that positions were promised to my in-laws, positions were promised to my family, and Again, after leaving jobs and coming back to the church, they were just left standing with empty hands. And what I'm sharing is not exclusive to this one church. 
the church has, and I'm, I'm not naive. I know to separate the church and organized religion and people all from each other, but you can't because it, it, you can't. I used to say, it's not about church attendance. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about your relationship with, with Jesus. And even that in itself, singing these praise and worship songs, you know, what a powerful name it is. Um, there's power in the name. Jesus isn't even his name. And as someone who now sees how much power is in the words that we use, why do we not say his name? If, if we're genuinely worshiping Yeshua or Yahweh, if we're genuinely worshiping him and his, his message, why are we calling him Jesus? What a powerful name it is. It's not his name. I finally got to the point where I was tired of living in shame and guilt and fear, ultimately, of not going to heaven because I was second-guessing my belief system. And I, I told my husband, and he, my, my husband was very, very afraid for my quote-unquote salvation when we were having these conversations. And I told him straight, you know, straight up, I was like, I can't continue to live this way. It doesn't make sense for me. As a critical thinker, it does not make sense for me. And I'm okay risking the potential the, the potential of going to hell. That that to me is okay because I'm living the rest of my life not in fear and not with shame and not with guilt. Speaking from a vibrational standpoint as a homeopathic practitioner, shame and guilt and fear are all such low, low, low vibrations in the body. And it's a wonder why so many Christians are sick. It's a wonder why so many Christians are riddled with cancer. Because of resentment, because of fear, because of guilt, because of lack. But if I show up to church, if I pray extra hard, I, and I'm not, I'm not sharing any of this to cast doubt for anyone who is happy with their relationship with Jesus. I'm not doing this to, to sway anyone out of Christianity. I'm sharing this because I feel like at 33 years old, I'm playing catch up with so many healing modalities with so much joy and so much life-giving activities that I that I'm doing with my family I feel like I'm catching up because so much of my time was devoted to prayer and reading a bible that had been butchered and bastardized so many times over playing catch up because so much of my interests now as an adult were considered still are still is considered witchcraft and demonic I'm playing catch up because I spent the first two years of my daughter's life parenting from that standpoint she has a rebellious spirit that needs to be broken she was a two-year-old 
expressing herself as a as a two-year-old as a healthy two-year-old would express herself when coming up against something that she doesn't want to do I'm sharing this so you can have an appreciation for how this journey has unfolded for me and why these stories are so important to me is because this is all powerful wisdom powerful medicine that has been snuffed out for centuries because it's not ordained through the church. Uh, I will have multiple resources on this in the show links below uh, because it's information that has been put out, snuffed out, hidden, and this, this information is deep, deep, deep in our bones, deep in our wombs, deep in our blood. And it's time that we remembered. It's time that we as women remembered. Thank you so much for listening um, to this incredibly intimate episode. Um, This really did take a lot for me to vocalize. This took a lot for me to share. And I'm reminding myself as I'm editing, I'm reminding myself as I'm putting this together that the worst thing that can happen is a couple people don't like me anymore. And that's okay. That's all for today's episode. And until next time, I pray that you are deeply, deeply nourished on this journey to matriarchy.